Hey guys, you are now listening to the Maranatha House Podcast. You guys, okay, cool, 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 maybe. All right, so I'm going to be picking up today from where Monica taught two weeks ago. We're going to be in John 15, we're going to start verse 12. Um, just to kind of summarize a, the first 11 uh, verses that Monica did a couple weeks ago, it basically boils down to this notion of um, our foundation being rooted in Christ. He addresses and says that he wants to prune us. And allows us the opportunity to bear more fruit, uh, circa verse 2. That he has made us clean, verse 3. That we are glorified, sorry, that he is glorified when we remain in him and bear fruit, verse 8. And that his purpose was to uh, prepare us for the cost of discipleship, which we'll be talking about in the back half of today. Uh, Can I get a volunteer? No? Okay. Uh, Can you read uh, verses uh, 12 through So I want to break down these five verses over time, um, but I want, to, I want to open the floor up to ask the traditional questions. What does this say about us? What does this say about God? And what is the third question supposed to be? What can we do about it? Uh, sure. It's been a while. Since what is our call, I think? What is our call, sure. So uh, what does this verse, what do these, these verses specifically say uh, about us? That our relationship to the Lord changed with Jesus. We were once servants, and now friends. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think because of that change, there's a new consistency of following our commandments and friendship rather than just you go and do this thing as a servant. Anyone else? What does it say about us? Can you talk about receiving God's love at all? We have not. Well, I feel like that's what... I can't love someone like Jesus unless I know what it's like to be loved by Jesus. So, receiving the part where he says, as I have loved you. So knowing who you are in Christ as his friend and being loved by him equips us to love 
what does this say about God in this passage? Good, good call. What is the application of these specific five verses? I think it's summed up in verse 16. It's, go bear fruit, your fruit should remain. And to ask the Father for things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I, I'm just now realizing that I did not pray before we started. <laughs> So let's let's do that real quick. Uh, Lord, I thank you for every person around here. I thank you that you're... Just thank you for how your spirit is broken out this morning. Lord, and I just pray that you would just continue to meet us here as we are going through your word and to have a, a firm grasp of really just what you want us to walk away with today. Um, Lord, about fruit, about what you say specifically here in John um, and how it applies to us and leaving here today, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Any other things about application? I have a question. Like, what do you feel like it looks like for verse 13? Like, what does it look like to lay one's life down for a friend? Do you feel like that? I feel like there's multiple answers for that. Sure. But... So, uh, I mean, that's a, probably a great segue. So the way that I, I kind of organized everything was I went through verse by verse and essentially just kind of broke down that verse asking, like, Lord, like, what is, what are you trying to say here? What are you trying to, you know, so if you guys are cool with it, we can kind of dig into that. Yeah. Um, so specifically for verse 12, this is my command. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Um, I don't know what I was thinking here. Oh, uh, so if you guys go back up to, can I have someone read verse 9? Well, as the Father has loved me, so I, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 10. <laughs> if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I don't know why, but when I was like praying and like reading about this, um, the one of the things that like first stuck out to me is like how Jesus moves from uh, if you keep my commandments, uh, plural in verse ten to this is my commandment, um, verse twelve. 
And so can I have a volunteer read Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40? Matthew what? 22? 22, 36 through 40. I do it. Um, give me a pause. Can I have someone read John 14, 15? Gotcha. <laughs> and, uh, John 14, 15? John 14, 15. Then I need one other volunteer to read John 13, uh, 34 through 35. All right. Angel, hit us with the first one. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on to these two commandments. Kim? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And Monica's got the last one. Did you say it was 34 and 35? Yes. Okay. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I don't know. I just thought it, I, maybe it's just me kind of like hanging on, digging for stuff, but the fact that he, he is specifically only in verse 10 talking about keeping his commandments, but then in verse 12 specifically says like, this is my commandment that I give for you. It kind of takes this idea of, uh, of kind of what we see in the passage that Angel read for context there. There was a religious leader that had essentially stood up and said, which of these is the greatest commandment? And Jesus kind of boils it down the entire entirety of the commandments and boils it down to, um, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, your mind. And, this is the great and first commandment, and uh, the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, but then to kind of also bring it back to John here, talking about uh, that we are called to love one uh, just as he has loved us first. Well, if you guys have anything, please stop me. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a little rusty. It's worth calling out, because I think we can assume sometimes, but also English doesn't do a great job of doing this. Every time there's a verb in there, it's in the second plural person, which means it's you all. It's y'all. So anywhere that it says you in here, it's actually probably more accurately y'all. Where this is this is to a body, not a single person. It's very easy to read scripture sometimes and, and just ignore the communal aspect of the Bible. But in reality, this is just a blanket. So one of the verses later, while we'll actually kind of dig into a little bit more of the original Greek um, that Jesus is kind of talking about, because it puts something a little bit more into it. Um, but one of the commentaries that I came across emphasized the, the notion uh, or the concept of loving one another uh, was not new, but loving others as Christ loved us. Um, I feel like, can I get a volunteer? Oh, you got it. Do a dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, there's this this idea and this concept of, of love. I think that we we learn from like an early age. And uh, what is something that you're like passionate about? You can't say something. 
You can't say Celine. Oh, okay. Dance while you do it, you know. Yeah. No, I'm not that good. Would you say that, like, I, I guess, I guess I misspoke. Like, what I'm trying to say is, like, uh, like, it, there's a difference. I think that, like, um, Mike and I had a conversation once. Is like, you, we love things like pizza or tacos or coffee or video games, RPGs, comics, you know. But we're taught that and instilled that at a very young age, and this idea and this concept of as loving one another the way that Christ loved us is this completely different uh, radical love than what we inherently know. And I think some of that comes from it being like sacrificial and stuff like that because like I said, I think that it's it's instinctual to love things. Yes. If you change the word in this case, we enjoy video games, etc. You use the word passion. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between passion and sacrificial love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although it's ironic that the movie The Passion. <laughs> I don't really like that movie, but there's a difference between, well, I mean, if you were looking at the definition of passion, there's probably a difference between the word passion and sacrificial love. I know that the things that like I really love um, are, I love them to a different capacity than I love mm-hmm. Christ or that I love people the way that Christ loved. That makes sense. Would you give yourself up for it for the detriment of your own well-being? Uh, for the things that I love, like would you? No, no. <laughs> that is that is the that is the thing that I think that the, the commentary. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people do so, which is unhealthy. Yeah. Um, but there's a there's this radical thing because uh, we are reminded to. You know, so to come back to the idea of some of the things that Jesus talked about, Sermon on the Mount, is we are called to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. Um, a concept, you know, the, even to love your enemies, it feels completely radical by today's standards um, because we live in a self-gratification culture. Um, you know, how can, what can I get out of it? You know, what can I earn out of it? And, um you know, kind of effectively loving people as Christ loved. Um, scripture tells us that we that the Lord, when He was in human flesh as Jesus, uh, broke bread, dined with prostitutes and sinners, and it begs the question: Are we loving? Uh, are we loving others the way that Christ loved us? Mm-hmm. Simple concept. What? Yeah. 
Um, yeah. I think I'm falling short in that area. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the person who's driving really slow and <clears throat> am I loving them the way that God loves me? And it's like, faster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, as a husband, like that's something that I'm constantly asking. Am I loving Erica the way that Ephesians talks about uh, Christ laid down his life for the church so that you know we might be you know, washed new and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think for me, it's like, one, I've learned a lot of Christ's love, but I'm insecure in loving others because I'm insecure about my own life mm-hmm. in certain ways with the Lord. Like, we asked this question uh, at a group thing I was at on Monday. Like, the question was, like, um, what's holding me back from, like, serving others or loving others? Mm-hmm. I felt like a lot of it was, like, shame of, like, I'm just as messed up as you are, so why would I come and offer help to you? Yeah. You know? Um, but I think it's, like, this is the whole reason we need sanctification, right? So that we see how the Lord loves us more so that we can begin to love others more in that way. So when you ask the question of are we loving others the way Christ loves us? Mm-hmm. I don't think I do yet. But I also don't think I know the fullness of how Christ loves me. Right. And that's part of why I need sanctification. Yeah, it's like that duality too because like Dick was saying, like, you know, falling short of that. Um, I feel like it's really... One of the things that like I've been struggling with recently is is been uh, being really vulnerable, um, specifically like homeless people. Um, like my my route has changed on my way to work now, and so I pass a lot more homeless people. And I don't know, it's kind of it's really it's really hard for me to like make eye contact or you know want to give them money or you know try and like love them because I'm just like thinking about a lot of the like stereotypes that you hear about like oh well they're going to use the alcohol to buy you know, buy alcohol or cigarettes or you know this or that and um, a lot of the the reason also the reason that I have some of that is where we where you, we used to live um, there were a lot of people that that took advantage of people like that and were like going out going home to like five five star hotels and eating like lobster and like you know wearing like rolexes and um but it's something that like the lord's been like kind of convicting me of recently is like you know man like loving others the way that he loved him and not just people within my circle or you know people that are, are nice but you know yeah it's hard yeah any um so uh, anything else that you guys know feel about like verse 12 before we move on to 13? This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, I'm going to move on to verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for friends um there is this uh i 
I think someone else brought this up earlier, but there's this identity shift that happens here for us um, that he expands upon in the next verse that we are no longer called servants, but we are in this place of uh, actual friendship now. Um, and so, can I get a couple more people to read a couple verses for me? I have two specifically. Uh, can you read Isaiah 41, 8? And can I get someone else to read one other verse? Second yeah. uh, Chronicles 20, uh, verse 7. Um, so as as they are um, reading this, this is like this is kind of kind of puts what Jesus is saying like a greater emphasis um, that before him coming, before uh, the new covenant, before the cross, there were only specifically uh, there was only specifically one other person that wore the title of friend of God, and that was Abraham. Um, so Isaiah forty one eight. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my father. Second Chronicles. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? So there's only one other verse in uh, the Old Testament that specifies um, a, another um, quote-unquote friend of God. Uh, and it's 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 a it's a passage uh, specifically identifying um, Moses in Exodus thirty three eleven, um, but it's it's this implication. It's not this actual like statement that he is making here, calling Jacob or sorry Abraham his friend, as he says in, in Isaiah, and then um, the descendants of Abraham, your friend, in, in Chronicles uh, twenty. Um, so kind of being in this new era with this new title of being called a, a friend of God, how does that cut? And knowing that like before the cross, before Christ came, that like there was a singular person that God called friend. Like what is this verse? How does this verse speak to you now with that fact and those, those scriptures in, in perspective? stands out to me. <clears throat> I think a lot of times we assume there was like things God wanted in the Old Testament they didn't get because of sin, our own sin, and so we had to wait until Jesus died on the cross for him to restore those things. But it's interesting that Jesus calls his disciples his friends before he even goes to the cross. Mm-hmm. And that God's, I guess what that says to me is that God's desire is even before we start to work on ourselves, or really uh, let him work on us is that he desires friendship with us and that it is attainable. I think that's very interesting. Anyone else got a I think it's an interesting note because I think there are a number of people that we see in the Old Testament that the Lord had good things to say about, um, but the idea that he didn't refer to them as his friend um, seemed like he was quite selective yeah. in his friendship, <laughs> but that's, I mean, I don't know, it seems like a big thing then, this is a big statement that he's making. 
So the other big statement that he is making here is defining greater love. Um, he says that uh, greater love than this, no one is laid down. As someone laid down his life for his friends, and it comes back to the idea of this sacrificial love. And so it was with this uh, keeping, bless you. Earlier in John, he talks about, uh, in John chapter 10, he says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, because I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back up, this charge I received from my Father. So we are doubling down on this idea of sacrificial. Jesus is emphasizing again that he, only he has the power, only he has the authority to uh, take down his his, lay down his life, and he's doing it simply because he is calling us friends and giving us the the call calling of friends. Um, I get one more volunteer to read. Uh, Romans 5, 7, and 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would, even, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ta-da. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that verse speaks pretty yeah. plainly for itself. Um, verse, four, uh, verse 14 says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Again, it comes back to this idea of that he has given us in verse 12, verse tend to not only stick alongside of him, but to stick and remain in his commands. Um, and it takes this idea that he talks about in the back half of verse uh, 13 and saying that calling us his friends, but it also kind of proposes this thing that you are only your friends if uh, we are remaining in him and in his commands. Um, so in Matthew 12, verse 50, he says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So, um, sorry. So it, uh, it essentially, he comes at basically what I was trying to make is like this idea of being, being called a friend of Christ also comes down to the idea of being obedient to him. Right. Like it's this almost kind of conditional thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he talks elsewhere in scripture in Matthew 12, verse 50, he says, For anyone, uh, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. One of the um, 
misconceptions in the church that's led to a lot of heresy today is that uh, it's the, the cheap grace movement that, you know, as long as you, all you got to do is pray a prayer, you're saved, baby. It's all good. Um, but I think we've done people a disservice because God's covenants have always had conditions. Yeah. So, you know, the Old Testament covenants always had a condition of, like, I'll do this. I want you to do this. That we remain in, in covenant. And throughout the Old Testament, you see that the Israelites, which is not just the Israelites, we are. You know, that's us too. You know, it's like we walked away, we didn't fulfill our half of the covenant. Yet God still performs his covenant on behalf, on our behalf. You know, um, it's just his love and his grace. But yeah, that it's always been conditional. And so, you know, like you want it to go well with you now modern day today, like if I want it to go well, you know, if I want the Lord to bless me and the Lord to establish me in all these things, I can't just keep living my old sinful life um, and then ask him for all the benefits of the covenant without fulfilling my half. Well, that goes back to uh, something that Paul says in, in Romans 6, uh, 2, he says, you know, how can you live into any sin if you have died to it? Right, right. Uh, Selena, you look like you were going to say something. Well, I, the, the whole term unconditional love is very prominent in Christian culture nowadays. Yeah. Like, God's love is unconditional, but that's not true. The condition was Jesus had to die for us. That was the condition. And, but the whole term unconditional love is very popular. Like, I know. And I grew up in a different country. Right. Interesting. Didn't know that. It's like God's love... God's love, he always loves us, yeah. but that doesn't mean that he always will save us, you know, that his love will always lead to salvation. Like, salvation is conditional upon whether you've become a loyal believer. We talked about this throughout all of Hebrews. It's like, do we loyally believe him? It's not about just praying a prayer, but actually believing and walking with him. Um, <clears throat> what? Kind of get gut. I was just saying that. I don't know that unconditional love is a false, like that that's a false concept. I think that the way that we tend to understand what love is makes that inaccurate. But that love as we've seen in scripture, his love is unconditional. But what we think that that means or how that will look in our life, I think is different than what we think of when we even think of love. Because I think typically it takes like a reframing of our mind yeah. to think of love as scripture speaks of love. Yeah. And so maybe when someone's saying that phrase, they're not even thinking of scriptural love to begin with, in which case then that's an issue. But his love is unconditional because he always is loving. Right. However we receive that or not receive that, what we choose to do with yeah. that is a different thing, but he doesn't stop being loving towards us. Yeah. His love is unconditional. His grace and his mercy are not as I think it goes back to this idea of God's love being like jealous, right? Mm -hmm. Like you know the uh, just depending on which version you want to talk about, but like you know it, it uh, how he loves talks about like uh, how it's like this hurricane almost kind of coming uh, through, and I think one of the things that is not taught uh, again i like i think it's also my upbringing because i had something very similar to that 
uh, and some of the very similar things that Cam talked about with like hyper grace, um, being in this place of you said a prayer now like you you don't have to change your life but like you you read scripture and like God's clearly jealous for you know the Israelites as we've talked about the last two weeks and like you know a portion of that is like that we read is that there were like also conditions um and even like coming back into like verse going back up to verse 12 it says this is my commandment that you have loved one another as I have loved you um and so really and doubling down and like emphasizing that like we are called to greater love than uh what we're taught but being led by the spirit to love as christ has loved us Maybe. cool all right Verse uh, verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. For I call you friends, for all I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Um, this is a continuation of the, the new identity, again, coming back to this concept of being called a friend. Um, but this is where the original translation kind of comes into play here. Um, so the original, in the original translation, this word for uh, servants actually uh, translates um, to slaves, um, coming from the, the Greek word doulos, and it translates to slaves and encompasses, um, encompasses both the literal and figurative uh, meaning of the word. Uh, can, I get, can I get one person to read Romans 6? Uh, verses 2 through 7. <coughs> yes. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of, of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. There's another passage, too, like, I can't remember, but it talks about, like, um, for if you sin, then you're a slave to sin. Do again. If, you're, if you sin, then you're a slave to sin. Right. He, do you know what verse I'm talking about? I think it's um, <clears throat> 6, Romans 6. It's up there. Or no, it's, it might be 7. I don't know. Um, Johnny, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but the son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Ah. 834. Jesus. Yeah, just a just a few chapters back. Um, but again, it comes back to this idea of Jesus is not only calling us uh, friends, but he is saying that, like, look, I'm I'm taking away uh, you know, what you we're called, calling you servants, uh, but 
here is the statement that, that the servant does not know what the father is doing, but I have called you friends for all I, that I have uh, heard from the father is being made known to you. So it's also this invitation to under better understand the father, better walk with the, the spirit, better uh, stay in step with everything that the, I guess that's the will of the Lord would be like the best way to put that. Awkward toilet breaks. <laughs> uh, is there anything else that anyone has about like verse uh, verse fifteen? It's a fun thing to look at the cases. Um, they're in two places. There's an accusative case where so the first thing was I have not called you slaves, and basically I have not accused you of being slaves. Interesting. For slaves, not accusative are this other thing. But I have called you friends, and it's accusing. It's in the accusative case. I've accused you of being friends. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good verse for the Catholic Church, you know, that used to, I don't know if they still do, the word of God was only given out by the, the priest and that you had to go to the priest in order to hear the word of God. And there's other religions that have done it too. But like, this verse specifically like stomps that. Like, if God's called us all friends and it's not like any of these guys were leaders at the time. They were kind of, you know, just normal everyday dudes. Which is like for us, you know, God wants to share his, his secrets with us. Like, there are things on God's heart that he wants to share with his his followers, his friends, uh, Abraham's the same way. Yeah, this this verse is also very inviting. Right. Which, uh, you know, I grew up, that's the kind of culture I grew up in is like, I didn't grow up Catholic, but you know, grew up in, you went, listened to a dude speak for 40 minutes and you were like covered. Like that was yeah. it, you're good to go. Um, but this is very much like an invitation to like not only know not only to know the Father, not only to be friends with Him, but also at the same time to like have an understanding of like His will and His way of like what He wants to do. Yeah, yeah. It just shows the heart of God that He wants powerful people. He doesn't just want a bunch of robots <clears throat> just like follow Him. Yes, sir. Whatever you say, Lord. Without question, He invites them into partnership with Him. And the Old Testament is such a good picture. Jacob wrestled with the Lord throughout the night. Yeah. And God was like, yeah. And then when it was, uh, when he was going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah, before he even did it, he went to Abraham and was like, dude, this is what I'm going to do. Like, what say you? And Abraham had a chance to, you know, intercede for the people and ask for, well, if there's 10 that are, you know, faithful. They see that with Moses and the golden calf, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. With Moses. Like, it's all throughout the Old Testament, mm -hmm. you know. It's just really yeah. intriguing to see. We see that with Isaiah and the meeting in the temple. Yes. Um, so it's God's constant yeah. kissing his heart. Yeah. Um, and I think you see that here in verse 16 as well. So he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that you should, that your fruit should abide so that whoever, whatever you ask in the Father, um, he may give to you. Um, how many of you guys grew up with uh, with Drake and Josh? Unfortunately, no. Oh, no. Okay. Sorry. 
So the, the the joke that has always kind of been for Drake and Josh is like Josh's like running gag throughout the series was like he would say something and then like say it again and it was like emphasize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the, the joke around people that grew up in that um, is like pastors kind of have that same same thing where they go like say a point and they'll like re-emphasize it again. But I think real, really here is Jesus, what he's doing in this verse, he is essentially emphasizing everything that he has said in the first 15 verses of this chapter. Um, and is specifically that, you know, we did not choose him, but rather we are chosen by God. Um, much in the way that Jesus went after the disciples of his day, picking ordinary dudes. Uh, Jesus does the same with us, even offers every chance is an opportunity for doing what he wants to do in us. Um, and this verse basically sums up, like I said, the emphasis of what he's been saying this, this entire chapter. Um, as he says, uh, you should go, comes back to verse 8. The idea of bearing fruit comes back to verses 2, 4, 5, 6, and 8. Uh, that your fruit should abide comes back to the ideas of verses 4, 6, and 7. Um, and so this idea of this back half of this verse here is where he talks about so that whatever you may ask in the, in the name of the Father, he may give to you, comes back to the idea of uh, verse 7. And it kind of spins as this almost like uh, Matthew 6.33, I think it is, 5.33, where he talks about seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else and his word and everything else that you ask, squirrel, shall be given to you. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay, cool. Uh, these things I command you, verse 17, so that you may, uh, so that you may love one another. Um, so this entire this entire passage of abiding in Christ, um, Christ giving us the tools of everything we need to like teaching us how to love, has been building up to um, the back half of what he is talking about here in the chapter in the first four verses of chapter sixteen. Uh, can I get some volunteers? I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. And they will put you... Oh, wait. Start in verse 18. Wait, what? Start in verse 18. Wait a minute. I don't think I understood what you said. <laughs> Did you say the first four chapter, four verses of 16? No, I said into the first four. So it's the, it's the, it's the back half of this chapter so, and the first four and the 16. Okay. So start in 18 and go yes. to 16 verse 4. Yeah. Okay. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me if i had not come and spoken to them they would not have been guilty of sin 
But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. All right, so it comes back to these three basic questions of in this passage is a lot. Um, I think you probably will not get through it all today. Um, but a lot of what in this in these verses, who would you guys uh, what is what does this passage say about us? Oh, you the last bit. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Okay. Are you asking just for this back half? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay, fine. Is what is this starting at? What what does this say about us? I think it's just through the Lord's grace to like warn us of coming trial. That you know, a lot of people always quote the I am the vine, you are the branches. Feels like glorious. This is fun. I get to abide in you, and you abide in me, and everything will be good. And then I like how the Lord is just like. Yeah, there's going to be persecution. People will hate you. Not just because you are annoying, but you know, even though you might be. Sorry, I didn't mean to point it. I pointed in between you and Maggie. I wasn't pointing at either one. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> None of us are annoying, trust. Really? Um, but it's this thing of like, you're going to hate, you're going to be hated for my name's sake. And I want you to be prepared. Like, that's the whole reason he's wanting us to be rooted in him is so that when those things come, it reminds me of uh, the parable of the soils. Yeah. There's a good soil, the rocky soil, the seed that was thrown out to the in the weeds and all this stuff, and there's only the good soil that was able to grow and uh, thrive. The other soils didn't last. And so I think the Lord wants us, his heart is so good that he wants us to thrive in very adverse conditions. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, I think a large portion of like this back half is a lot of what the spirit has been saying throughout the entire morning is this idea of 
being routed in him because life is gonna come and it's gonna like you said like with the parable of the weeds it's gonna come and it's gonna choke out and it's gonna be you're gonna have times where it's gonna be miserable but like you're gonna have times where you are depressed and angry and all of these other things but being rooted in uh being remained in him is what is gonna help you throughout the entirety of that Everyone got distracted by the child. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, what uh, what does this passage say about the character of God? What does this passage say about the character of God? Because Jesus is saying this, he's not just like point blank, like you're going to suffer, get over it. He, he empathizes with that because he didn't go through it first. It's very easy to take the guilt trip, not guilt trip, but not that sorry, not guilt trip, but take the victim mindset, especially when it does happen to you. Sure. Because I've experienced that, and it sucks. It's like, why is this happening to me? I'm not doing what you asked me to do, and now so and so hates me. Um, but to not take the victim mindset, really. Because it's so easy to fall into that. But it's not what he's calling us to do. To kind of build off that, it comes back to the um, that passage in Hebrews where the author is specifically talking about, um, you know, we have a high priest that emphasizes and is every has endured everything that we've gone through. Yeah, it talks about, like, um, I don't even think it's worth comparing the, the current circumstances are worth comparing to the joy of the glory that will one day be revealed in us. Okay. Uh, application points for this, this back half. Uh, 
and then we will be done. someone takes it personally because it, it reminds me of all of the verses that it, we're not fighting against flesh but against well, principalities yeah, yeah. and so what I think is if we take things personally and we take that victim mindset of when people reject us and hate us for what are trying to spread the gospel yeah. uh, and if we take it personally we lock up and we just say oh well they hit us whatever forget them and I think that what uh, Jesus is doing here is just also not only preparing us so that we know that his words are true, but also kind of like uh, it's almost like a call to strengthen ourselves mentally uh, for it. Because uh, a lot of the times when you get filled with the Spirit, a lot of people can spit on you, hate you, but just like him, they were terrible to him. And uh, uh, on the cross, he, you know, he was like, "Forgive them, for they not they do they they, know not. they yeah." And so I think that that's like something specifically for me because I could also get, I'm pretty, uh, I get easily offended sometimes about certain things and uh, it ends up doing more bad for me than, uh, than for them, I guess, the people that offend me. Not you, but I was just <laughs> Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Maggie's face when you said easily offended. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I think it's just like uh, being on the lookout and making sure that you're filled with the Spirit so that those moments where someone is, uh, I guess, hateful towards you for what you believe or for, for your zeal for God, it, it's not tarnished, that your roots are set in the right place. I, uh, I I have not listened to your teaching on, again, on just the first on one. Today, so. so like my my question, I think what you know the fact that like Jesus spends the front half of uh, of John fifteen specifically talking and addressing like the importance of like remaining in Him, like bearing fruit in Him, walking with Him, only to tell us that like you know the world is gonna hate you. Um, what are like what are practical steps for us to like actually like remain with him? Um, for me, it's convicting the the passage because like people aren't hating me or like being weird to me. Like I'm not sharing enough. Or I'm not being bold enough about loving God. That's convicting. Did, did we adopt a Wookiee? Yeah. <laughs> One thing I feel like I'm. Can you, was you asking how can you love your enemies when they're? I mean, I I, I use that as like an illustration. Yeah. But like this idea of like, how can we specifically like? What are some practical steps to like? remain in Christ so that when you are presented with persecution or as he talks in here he says if the world hates you know that they hated me first and he goes on this passage to talk about they hated me 
for my name's sake. Yeah. Um, so, like, my question was, like, what are some, like, practical steps of, like, actually, like, remaining in him? Yeah. Like, the words guarding your heart come to mind. So, yeah. To, well, to be innocent, what's the point of to be innocent as lamb, but... Why is a serpent? Why is a serpent? Yeah, like to be vulnerable, but not to not Question. Is it wrong to be um, hurt by being hated and like, persecuted? 
no. It's showing that you have feelings. Yeah. You're not made of stone because if you if you're immediate, you expect to guard your heart to the extent that you are not letting anyone in. Mm-hmm. So. I think that I just keep thinking back to this that um, I know that Erica had talked about this when she was saying it's okay to like be angry and have feelings that people like you as negative and like emotions as long as you don't like sin in those emotions and like it's okay to have anger but don't like take it out on somebody kind of thing so I keep thinking about that um and also like um we were talking about I think it was Monica was talking about like um growing the fruits of the spirit like in your life so I know with me, like, some people at my work, I know some, like, personal things about them, um, and they, like, are Christians, and they do attend church, and I found out some personal things about them that I'm not even close to them, but it made me really upset um, that somebody could do this, and that somebody could sin against God, like, just that bad, but also not, I don't want to say masquerade because everybody's a sinner, but just like proclaim this in front of people and be doing this in secret just made me really upset. Um, and that's like something I've been having a really hard time just like being around them, like in their presence. And I just, every time that happens, I just think back to when we talked about that and just being aware of our emotions, controlling our emotions and our thoughts. And even if I'm don't really speak, just showing love by not talking bad about them or having bad thoughts about them when they're around is like my steps right now because I think it's really easy for me to do that to be really like disappointed in people. Um, so I don't know, that's where I'm at. It's, it's starting small. <laughs> yeah, I mean, same, it's very hard, especially when you see someone who you know is a Christian and you know follows Christ, but then you find out something about them. It's really hard not to judge them because mm-hmm. then it's like, who's not even know you? So, yeah. It's being, being intentional too. I feel like with your, your art and stuff like that to come from a, a, a place of like, well, do I do I address this? Do I do I not? Like, you know, um, and just kind of better understanding the Father in that regards. All right. I'm going to go ahead and close. Because <laughs> everyone seems to need to leave, so it's fine. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your presence here this morning. I pray that God it leaves and that everything that we have uh, talked about this morning, Father, that if it is convicting, uh, Lord, that we would walk with your spirit in sanctification and uh, just be able to just be a part of your, your family. We thank you for calling us friends and we thank you for um, knowing that we have the awesomeness of abiding in you um, to, to walk with you, Lord. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you have been blessed by today's teaching. And as always, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus.